always easy, which is why Bruce and I couldn't cover what was on our minds in just one session. We know that bridging America's racial divide is going to require concrete policies to address the ongoing legacy of slavery and Jim Crow, but it also requires each of us in our workplaces, in our politics, in our place of worship, and in a million daily interactions to make more of an effort to understand each other's realities, not to mention our own unspoken attitudes. As a lot of us have learned, whether from a childhood like mine of growing up different, or a lifetime partnership like Bruce had with the big man, Clarence Clemens, whether from the great old protest songs or the new kinds of protest movements across the country, that kind of reckoning can be uncomfortable, even, or maybe especially, when it's with the people we love. tension and freehold, but when you start what becomes the East Street Band, right? this was a integrated band. How intentional was that? Or was it a matter of just, man, I'm trying to get the best musicians I can. This is the sound I want. The integrated aspect of the East Street Band obviously was when I saw Clarence. Clarence was just great. You know, he just had a sound that raised the roof. He was just one of the greatest sounding sax players I, I'd ever heard. Was he older than you? Yeah, Clash was about eight years older than I was. Okay, so he's, he's already, he's well into his 20s. Yeah, he's, he's, he's been he's, around, he's, he's seen some things. Well, he was a, uh, he almost went into pro football. And he'd been to college, and he'd had some experiences already, and ended up somehow an itinerant sax player on the edges of Asbury Park playing in the black clubs at the time, you know, and uh, walked into the club one night, walked up on stage, stood to my right, and started playing. I said, there's something about him and I together, you know. We struck up a friendship started to play with the band and people started to come and respond and eventually the band developer it was for a year or two into into being the three white guys and three black guys right and that was around 74 i think and which nobody would know to know by the way and i mean i, I don't know no. and i didn't know that because look I, I hate to date yeah. your brother but born to get run i was still you're a child i was in high school <laughs> so, so i didn't know uh that that you know, you've got half black, half white band. Like, I knew the average white band was all white. Well, those are some Scottish guys. Yeah. And those guys could jam, by the way. Yes, they could. Loved them. <laughs> Loved them. They're outstanding. You knew Earth, Wind, and Fire were all white guys. But part of the reason that I wouldn't have necessarily known that is not only did you not have, obviously, the internet and video, but music was still pretty... It was categorized. Very much. And we had a primarily white audience. Right. Yeah. And, and, and Clarence isn't on the cover of Time Magazine, right? No. So it's, it's, it's Bruce Springsteen yeah. looking all with his curly hair looking cute, <laughs> you know, with his, his bandana and all that. You know, how was the 
because I'm assuming every team in any group has some dynamics. And Clarence, on the one hand, is very, he's a, an iconic figure in the East Street Band, but he's also still a side man and you are still the front man. You know, I, I always used to talk about how I did notice early on when black folks did start appearing in, in you know, bigger roles, they were still always like the second guy, right? It's a funny thing because it was a dynamic that both it both happened naturally and we contrived together at some point, you know, Clarence and I. And there was a moment when they see, you know, tomorrow night when I go to the front of the stage and I play this up, come on up with me and play it next to me. And we took those steps the next night. It's like and a buddy movie. On stage. And the crowd went crazy. There was an idealism in our partnership where I always felt our audience looked at us and saw the America that they wanted, wanted to see and wanted to believe in. And this became the biggest story I ever told. I've never written a song that told a bigger story than Clarence and I standing next next to each other on any of the thousand and one nights that, that we played. He lent his power to my story, and like I said, the story that we told together, which was about the distance between the American dream and American reality. But part of what you're describing also, though, is he provided something to you personally and to the band that helped capture what would end up being your sound or uh, spirit. Yeah, but what you're also saying, though, is, is that at some level, look, uh, here's an older black man who's been hustling out there for a long time. Yeah. He's, he's, got, he's, got to, he's got to hook up with a young white kid. An old skinny white kid. Who yeah. is less experienced than him. Now, it works out beautifully for both of you. Yeah. But, you know, there's also complications, right, to that whole relationship. And, and I don't know if you guys ever talked about it. Yeah, to give a little more than I had to give in the sense of once the uh, keyboardist and drummer left, it left Clarence as the, he was the only black man in the room a lot of times. You know, uh, being in the band, you know, you see very few black people in the shows, you know, and I, I look for it, you know, but he's not being marketed that way, and so very few black people just in here. Uh, I don't know where... He had to swim in white culture for most of his work life. Right. Yeah. I actually wrote about this in my first book. Those friends of mine that I was talking about, who had been friends of mine at school, they're, you know, white, Hawaiian, Filipino. I'm making friends with these older black kids who were taking me to parties on the base. And I, I tell the story about inviting those guys along. And we get out to the party. And I look over at those guys, and they are cool, but they are also experiencing
experiencing for the first time in their lives what I have to go through a bunch. Yeah. Where they're the only white guys in the room. Or non-black guys in the room, right? This happened to us on the Ivory Coast. Yeah. <laughs> we went, and I was doing the Amnesty International tour, and we came out to a stadium of entirely black faces. And we stand there for a moment, and Clarence comes over and he says, well, now you know how it feels. Did <laughs> 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 yeah. How'd the concert go? And we started to play. And it was about 60 seconds of everybody just kind of staring into each other's eyes. And then the place exploded. <laughs> exploded. It was simply the most generous audience we've ever played in front of to this day. But Clarence said it, it, it was difficult for him and it was painful for him at, at different times. And we did talk about it usually on, on evenings when for some reason or another we were reminded of it. You Such know? as? Um, well, Clarence and I went out one evening to a local club, a friend of his. I was watching the band and the next thing I see Clarence is at the front door and there's a scuffle going on up and, and uh, Clarence has got a couple of guys pinned down and the owner has got a, a guy pinned down and everybody breaks apart and obviously throws them out on their way out one of the guys says the animal yeah. um, it was funny you know Clarence he had been around he was a pretty worldly guy, but he disappears. And I go out in the parking lot looking for him because I, I don't know where these other guys have gone. I don't know where he might have gone. And he was just standing on near the hood of a car, just and he looked at me, I remember I said, Brucey, why do you say that? I played football with those guys every Sunday.
and not important. And I, this thing is the thing that's going to give me some importance. When I first saw you, you sort of spoke to a broad sense of American hopefulness. And there was something in Clarence's presence of that quality. And it's what made our band so powerful when we came to your town at night. We addressed all these issues. We didn't speak necessarily directly about them. But you're telling stories that... Yeah. And that partnership was... It was just real. I was at his bedside when he took his last breath and... He was such a strong figure for me. Um, but, um... You miss him? Yeah, yeah. Of, we of, love of course. See, it was, you know, 45 years of your life, you don't... You know, you don't, uh... It's never something that comes again, you know? It, 45 years... And the only thing we never kidded ourselves about was that race didn't matter. We lived together. We traveled throughout the United States. And we were probably as close as two people could be. And at the same time, I always had to recognize it was a part of Clarence and I wasn't ever really going to exactly know. And uh, it was a relationship unlike any other that I've ever had in my, ever had in my life. This episode of Renegades is brought to you by Dollar Shave Club. Grooming as a man is a solo act. Maybe you find yourself frozen in front of the mirror with millions of questions. Do you exfoliate before or after shaving? How do you exfoliate? Are more blades better? Should you shave where the sun don't shine? Well, that one's a personal choice, but the good news is you're not alone. Dollar Shave Club has products and content that answer your questions, no matter how weird they might seem. No shame. We've all asked them before. Dollar Shave Club. Now at a store near you and still on the internet at Dollar Shave Club. After George Floyd's murder, I started reading James Baldwin. And this passage always stuck with me. White people in this country will have quite enough to do in learning how to accept and love themselves and each other. And when they have achieved this, which will not be tomorrow, and maybe never, the Negro problem will no longer exist, for it will no longer be needed. Yeah. The legacy of race is buried. But it's always there, right? It's... It, it's Depending on the community you're in, it's, it's how far near the surface it is. It's not always clear. 
And I think a lot of black folks always talk about how what's hardest is not dealing with a Klansman. That, you know, that you can figure out. You are prepared and you are geared up. What cuts is people who you know aren't bad people. And the fact that that card is still in their pocket and that at some unexpected moment it might be played is heartbreaking. Because that's where you realize, oh, this is a, a deep, big piece of business. And it's not a matter of not using racial epithets. And it's not just a matter of, you know, uh, voting for Barack Obama. Uh, yeah, that's why that movie, uh, did you see that movie Get Out? I did. So when the, when the father who turns out to be crazy, <laughs> right, starts saying, man, I, I voted for Obama a third time. I mean, that's part of the point that that, that line is making. And this is a moment when it feels, as a country, we've got to have that conversation. If we want to create a more honest and adult and noble America, one that's worthy of, of its ideals. And on the day that John Lewis was buried is certainly not a day you can be cynical about the possibilities of America. No, you know, that, 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 but, but I think John embodied this very particular brand of courage. Right? It was a courage and trust in the redemptive power. The ability to say, here I stand. Do your worst. I believe that at some point there is a conscience that will be awakened. That there is a, a, a force in you that will see me. Right? And he never gave up that hope. And this summer, to see the protests that were taking place... John and I said this in the eulogy. John, these are your children. They might not have known it. But you helped give birth to that sense of right and wrong in them. You helped infuse them with that expectation that we're better than we are. You know, my mother used to say sometimes, if I wasn't acting right, she said, listen, I don't necessarily care if you believe in what I've told you to do, but if you do it often enough, <laughs> that's who you're going to be. Uh, and I think that there's a little bit of an element of young people saying, you've told us this is who we're supposed to be, that all people are equal and we treat everybody with respect. And you've told it to us often enough that maybe you didn't even believe it, but we now do believe it. And we're going to force you to adapt your behavior and your policies and your institutions and your laws to what you told us was true because you know you may have been painting a fantasy to make yourself feel better but we believe and now we're going to try to make it true and that's why as long as protest and activism 